Well, hey, Pastor and Don say hello uh, from the mountains this morning. Uh, they're on vacation. He will be back next week. And so uh, if you haven't enjoyed last week and you're not planning on enjoying this week, well, he will be back next week. So, uh, you know, just hang in there. It's, you know, only 30 more minutes. You guys, you know, you're going to survive. If you're new with us this morning, want to invite you to come back and uh, meet our pastor, um, but uh, his heart is the same as everything that you're going to see here this morning, and so we're just real excited. They're going to come back refreshed and revived, so it's going to be good. Well, hey, we're going to continue our message this morning uh, from last week on attractions. Uh, last week, I wasn't able to get through the, the whole message due to uh, just the things that happened uh, uh, last week here in Dallas, and so I took some more time in some of the points that I planned on taking. And so with that, would you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Amen. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 4, we're talking about attractions today. Uh, We're just going to take a small piece out of a wonderful story. Uh, This story is about the story of the heart. Uh, It's about how God's Word gets sown into the hearts of people, and uh, each heart receives God's Word a different way. Uh, In this particular verse, Jesus talks about what we're going to call the distracted heart this morning. Uh, Verse number 19, it says this, but all too quickly, the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and lure of nice things come in And crowd out God's message from their heart so that no crop is produced. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And God, we pray today for your church, God, around the world. God, that it would be alive and well. And God, we pray this morning for every word that comes out of my mouth that would fall into a heart that is ready to hear. God, I pray that you would filter out everything that you don't want me to say. And God, that you would put in anything extra that you need to be said. And God, I also pray for every hearer, God, that we would remove the filters of our perceptions and the filters of our life experiences and hear your pure word. In Jesus' name, would you say a big amen? You may be seated this morning. Hey, we're talking about attractions, uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap if you were not here this last week, and so we're going to go really fast through point one and point two, and then we'll slow down on point three and four. Well, the Bible says that attractions come, and they come quickly, and here's the crazy things about attractions is they catch us off guard. In other words, when we think that everything is going just fine, suddenly and quickly, quickly, things catch our eyes and they catch our attention. And just by the way, I said this last week, but want to make sure we're all fully aware of this was written to believers. So when we talk about attractions and we talk about temptations and we talk about things catching our eye, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that that we're not a church full of people who think, well, I'm not tempted. I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I don't get tempted. Well, just in case you were uh, wondering, well, according to God's word, we do get tempted. And so God put some things in his word to help us out along the way. And so the Bible says those of us who lose sight and get caught up And the attractions of these worlds, the Bible says that no crop is produced from our life. Here's what that means. Attractions can literally put a hold on God's plan for your life. It can slow them down. It can make us stagnant. Uh, It slows down our relationships. It slows down our marriages. It slows down our careers. Because all too quickly, these attractions in this world crowd out God's message in our life. Uh, 
Today, uh, we're going to take a look at several different places in God's Word, um, and here's why, because the most important and the most powerful thing that I'm going to say up here is going to be God's words and not mine, and so we're going to take a lot of, uh, look at a lot of different scripture. Uh, in context of the actual story that we're pulling this information from today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 5 through 8, um, and it simply says this. If you've got your Bibles, you can open it to there, Matthew chapter 18, verse 5 through 8, as we're talking about the attractions of temptation, here's what the Bible says about temptation. Verse 5, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me in. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the depths of the sea. Verse 7, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into the eternal fire with both your hands and your feet. As we take a look at this scripture and we take a look at temptation, I've noticed some things about the attraction of temptation. The first thing in your notes, and as I said, we're going to go quickly through these, is we notice the problem. The problem with temptation is that temptation is inevitable. It's inevitable for believers and it's inevitable for non-believers. God's plan for temptation for believers is simply to distract, derail, and delay God's purpose for your life so that you're stagnant, not producing any fruit. His temptation for somebody who we might want to call a non-believer or another way to say it is somebody who is not 100% all in, cross the line of faith in their heart concerning the message of the gospel. Uh, Here is the point of temptation for this individual. It's simply to disillusion them from the pure message of the gospel and to ensure their spiritual death and separation from God in eternity. We notice that the problem with temptation, it's inevitable, it's attractive. In other words, that temptation, it pulls on the heartstrings of our heart. Uh, There's two things in the heart of mankind that God put inside of you and I. And those two things are a desire for life and belonging. And the problem with temptation and the attractions of temptation is that the enemy puts a plan to go after your desire for life and belonging. And he he sends you chasing things that promise to deliver uh, the fulfillment for life and belonging. And by the way, temptation, see in your notes, is just a lie. They never feel the need for life and belonging because the only person on this planet that can fulfill the true need for life and belonging for you and I is hope found in Jesus Christ. Number two, the next thing we see in the story concerning temptation is we see people. We see some different characters in this story. The Bible calls uh, one of the characters in this story in verse number five, little ones. I want us to consider that little ones in this story are possibly young children, But also I want us to consider people who are new in the faith, that they're little in the faith. And the Bible says that those who are little in the faith are gleaming after ones to teach them and show them and raise them up in the ways of God, to raise them up in the ways of the world, to pass on their wisdom, to pass on their knowledge. But the other person that we see in here is we see the tempter be in your notes. The Bible gives a special warning for those of us who lead people astray. 
for those of us who lead young children and lead people who are new in the faith away from the Lord. And the Bible simply says that sorrow awaits these individuals who tempt these little ones to sin. Next thing I want us to notice in this story, and we spent a lot of time on this last week, is see the source of real temptation. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, says this, that the enemy, the devil, is the commander of the powers of the unseen world. That at the end of the day, there is no person that is the actual enemy. But the enemy is actually the devil. And he's got a plan to steal, kill, and destroy the life of people. And our temptation in the current state of our world and our nation and even in our city is to uh, paint the face of the enemy on an individual and call a person the enemy. We want to call people in the political world the enemy. We want to call the economy the enemy. But the real enemy, folks, as we look at God's word, is the devil. And that is where our attention should be drawn when we are fighting these battles. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. What does that mean for you and I? That means we need to pray a whole lot more. Uh, That means we need to just take off our target on people. And we need to put the target on the right person. And that's the enemy. Uh, It's no person uh, that is walking down the street. It's not the person in the cubicle next to you. Uh, It is not any group of people out there uh, that is uh, uh, causing problems for your life. But it is simply the enemy. Now, the first part of this message was really uh, a discovery Uh, A discovery of what temptation is. A discovery of where temptation comes from. Uh, The next half of this is going to be more of the application part. Um, So for those of you who kind of went, okay, it's good. Uh, We see where we need to pray, but how do we really overcome some of these temptations? That's what we're going to talk about today. Sean, how exactly am I going to overcome these dealings in my heart concerning the temptations of life and concerning the attractions of this world? Here's the truth I I do want to make sure that we all understand is although there are a lot of distractions in this world and every week it seems like there is a new distraction, folks, I got good news for you. There are good things happening in this world. There are a lot of people all over this world that are praying. There are a lot of churches doing great things in communities. Hey, and by the way, there are a lot of people who are not Christians who are doing a lot of great things out there. You know, uh, I saw on Facebook, uh, scrolling, peop- scrolling uh, this huge video of people in downtown Dallas last week, this huge line, just walking down, hugging police officers, loving people. I'm telling you what, as I was walking down the streets, my best friend is African American, and I called him last week, and we were talking about what our response is, and you know, it, it doesn't matter where you come from, it just comes down to, here's what our response is, no matter what color you are, I love people. It doesn't matter. And my friend was telling me, he said, Sean, he's like, I'm a, I'm a large African-American dude. And for some people, maybe that's intimidating. So I go out of my way to make myself not so intimidating. And man, as I was going through my week last week, I just made sure, man, I smiled and said hi to every person I can find. And you know what's kind of funny? It seemed like every African-American person that walked by me smiled extra big and said hi to me. And I smiled extra big and said hi back to them. You know what that, that's a message of love to people saying, hey guys, we love people and we're for you and we're with you and we're praying for you and and listen man the world the world doesn't matter what's going on there are great things going on in our world uh we got somebody in this church who's an officer in the fort worth police department he was telling me after long long days last week and a long long week 
uh, his whole crew and their team went to the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, their chief uh, just wanted to just uh, appreciate and love on his employees. And so they went into the Cheesecake Factory, and it's actually made news. Uh, the entire restaurant stood up in applause as these officers walked in there and took their seats. And they actually took up a, a huge collection and paid for the meals of the officers. So I want you guys to know there's good things happening in our world. Every time somebody calls me and says, can you believe what's going on in this world? Well, my answer is always, yes, I can believe what's going on in this world. Can you believe all the good things that are happening in this world too? There's a lot of good things happening. As we take a look at our notes, number three in our notes, I want us to notice here is, here is the plan that God gives us for overcoming temptations when we get overwhelmed by the negative things happening in this world. Number three, we do this by understanding the plan. The plan. See, God always provides a way out for you and I in our struggles. No matter how great the struggle is or no matter how small the struggle is. And this is kind of extreme. Are you ready for the plan? Matthew 18, verse number eight. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Wow, that's pretty intense. A in your notes. Here's the point. Absolutely, wholeheartedly, completely disengage with sin. That's the plan. Completely disengage from sin. I can't help but tell this story. Um, when I was a first-time youth pastor, um, it was February, and February is the time in youth ministry uh, where you talk about love, and you talk about sex, and you talk about dating, and you talk about temptations. And I was in the middle of a message in this series, and, um, and I was preaching on if you had crossed the line before with that special someone in your life, and you have crossed the line that God has called that is only supposed to be in marriage, and you be begin to mess around with each other sexually, you need to cut it off. And I was going for it, and I was bringing it, and I was just, the heat, I mean, I was so passionate, I was so new in this thing, and I just kept saying over and over and over, I kept telling them, I didn't get saved till I was 18, I know what temptation is like, and you know what, I don't know anybody who has crossed the line before and has rewound and continued to stay successful, so you just need to cut that thing off completely, and don't go back, don't go back to that, and all the kids are laughing like you, and all the youth sponsors are sitting across the back wall laughing, and the more this, the, the leaders were laughing, the more intense I was getting and the more angry I was getting because I'm like, this is a serious matter. And, and my wife was like, I'm like, at the very end, I came to everybody and like, what is wrong with you guys? And they're like, dude, you kept saying cut it off. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, okay, I need to get a clue here. The Bible says to cut off your hand or foot if it's causing you to sin. And throw it away. We're talking about disengaging with sin. You guys just can't get over that one, can you? Man. Man. I have more to say about that, but I will not. I will hold. I will use self-control. This is some practical wisdom that I want to give you. And here's some practical wisdom, and I like this scripture because it really gives us a visual. It gives us a great picture of what this means to disengage with sin. If you got your Bibles, Bibles this morning, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, um, this is a story in Proverbs that is actually a picture 
of the process of somebody falling into immorality. I don't want us to necessarily focus on immorality, although that's what this particular scripture is about. Uh, I want us to understand and, uh, and, and realize that all temptations work the same way, okay? So here's what the Bible says. It says that I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. Now, I can only assume some things as I take a look at this. This scripture has this assumption, this implication that this young man knew where he was going. And the the funny thing about this young man is the Bible says that he was naive. Uh, The Bible says that he lacked what? Common sense. So, it could, I could only assume that this young man who was naive and lacked common sense knew where he was going. And the naiveness in him and the missing common sense in his life was that he possibly thought that maybe I could cross the street near the house of this woman and maybe get a peek, maybe get a little look, and, and then maybe I could just keep on going. Maybe I can engage in this conversation that is absolutely full of gossip and nothing is going good here. Maybe I could stroll by and pretend like I really don't care, but go ahead and although I might not be participating with my mouth, but my ears are in full participation. And maybe I'm not going to open my mouth, but maybe I'm just naive enough and I lack enough common sense that maybe I shouldn't even have walked near that conversation. See, we've got to completely disengage with sin because the enemy wants to attract us and he's tempting our hearts. He wants to steer our hearts away from God. See, remember, temptations draw us to things that promise life and belonging for us. And I know this, this, this scripture is, is, is focused around immorality, but all temptations stir up and begin the same way. It doesn't matter what the temptation is. In this scripture, at the end of the day, here's all this guy needed to do. Step off the gas, dude. Slow down. Don't even go there. Don't even cross the street near the house where temptation might be. Don't even engage in relationship with those people that way if it's causing you to go that direction. Don't even engage financially in that area if it's causing you to go that direction. Don't engage with the temptation points in your life. Completely stay away from them. The Bible says cut them off completely. What does this mean for you? Well, I don't know what this means for you. It just depends on what temptation is is getting under your skin. If you're an alcoholic, well, you, you might not ever get to go in a bar again, okay? That's okay. Who cares? It's for your freedom. If you're having a hard time loving people during this election season and you get all riled up with politics and, and your eyes get off focus and it's really easy to do this, so I'm not slamming anybody, I'm not, I'm not getting down on anybody, but it's really eyes, easy to get our eyes focused off of what really matters. And if you're being tempted by those things and you're having a hard time loving people for who they are, turn off talk radio. Just turn off the news, get off of Facebook for a little while, and recalibrate. Don't go near the corner of that house that is going to cause your heart to get all distracted. 
By the way, you won't be missing anything if you turn off the news and Facebook for a while. Because when you come back on, it's all going to be the same. It's going to be the same people with the same rant, the same issues, the same problems. Just, just trying to help you this morning. There's relationships causing turmoil in your life. Don't stroll down those paths anymore. Don't stroll down those paths. Some of you just need some healthy boundaries. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about one of the ways that we disengage with sin. God's plan is simply through common sense. Common sense. This young man, the Bible says, he lacked common sense. Here's what I know even about this young man who lacked common sense. Wisdom was available for him. It was available for him. I think that it's possible that maybe he was just ignoring it. If we want to give him the benefit of the doubt, I'm only going to do this because there's maybe some people in this room who maybe need the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you never had anybody raise you up in the ways of common sense before. And I'm so sorry about that. I really am. Maybe you never had a dad show you the right way. Maybe you never had a mom teach you the right ways on how to receive love, on how to give love and acceptance. But according to this scripture, I, I think that this guy, he knew what was up. And here's how I know. A couple chapters later in Proverbs chapter 9, we're going to put this scripture up on the screen for you. And if you've got a Bible um, and you want to read it off of that, go for it and do that. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1 and 6. This is so cool because it builds a nice picture, and I'm going to need uh, two volunteers, and I'm going to need two female volunteers, so it's easier to get male volunteers for this, but I'm going to need two female volunteers in a second, okay? Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. Wisdom has built, built her, that's why I need a female volunteer in a minute, okay? Wisdom has built her house. She, wisdom, has set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. So she's all ready to go. She's got all the wisdom in the world for everything that is needed. Wisdom comes from God, by the way. And she has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come by my house. To those who have no sense, like that guy before, no common sense, to those who have no sense, come and eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Okay, can I have one female volunteer, please? Come on up right now. Come on up. It's okay. Oh, thank you, Deborah. All right. Deborah, can you just stand right here for me? You came dressed for the occasion. You look nice, all right? Good job. And you look really wise. Okay, <laughs> according to this scripture, I got to ask you a couple questions. Who is wisdom calling out to? Go ahead and look. I'm not going to give you the answer. Look. All, all, wisdom's calling out to everybody. The Bible actually says in verse 4, I'm calling out to all who have no sense. Kind of like that guy a minute ago. Let me ask you another question. Where is wisdom calling out from? I might make this hard because I think it's on two slides, so sorry about that. Skip to the one that is on, it has verse 4 up there. Where is wisdom calling from? From the highest point, verse 3, sorry about that, the highest point of the city. Okay, just hang on. Are you good to stand here? Okay, I'm good, you're good. Okay, let's go to uh, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 13 through 18. Folly, 
attraction, sin, temptation. Folly is an unruly woman. Sorry, that's just what this says. I'm not saying anything about women today. We're just using women as an example. It's just woman. It just says woman in here. Don't blame me. She is simple and knows nothing. This is folly, not women, okay? She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to all who pass by, who go straight on their way. She calls out and says, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten is secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are deep in the realm. I need my second volunteer, please. Sorry. Yeah, you are, you are uh, representing folly, whoever you are. You, anybody want to come on up? Any nice lady? Okay. Any young? Oh, man. Carol, you are awesome. Come on up. <laughs> Leave it to me. Can you stand right here, Carol? Just, just right here. You, here. Come right up here. This is the hot. Okay. Right there. There we go. Okay. I got to ask you a couple questions. Okay. Do you guys remember? Where was wisdom? At the highest point of the city. Who was wisdom calling out to? All the simple people. Okay. I'm going to take on the, the, the bad role in this story, okay? I am the naive young man who lacks common sense, okay? According to this story, though, we have wisdom calling out to this young man who's just going along his path. And then also we have folly calling out. Where is folly? At the highest point of the city. Who is folly calling out to? What does that mean? We are going along our way in this world, in this life, and we have equal opportunity. We have spirit and we have flesh calling out to even those who may say, I've never had an opportunity to have wisdom poured in my life. But Bible promises that wisdom is calling out to me. Yet at the same time, folly is calling out to me. In the Bible, there's this tug of war in our flesh. flesh. And for those of you who think that there's no tug of war, there is a tug of war. It's in God's word. It's very plain. It's very simple. And there is a promise that wisdom is available for everybody. And the way that you disengage from sin is just turning your ear this way. There's plenty calling out over here, but we've just got to turn our ear this way and listen up. Here's what I want to say. Some of you in here may feel like you're not very wise. You may feel like, well, I don't have the long gray hair. I don't have the real cool things to say like Pastor does up here. He just always has a really simple way of doing things and saying things, and he's got a great gift for that. I just don't have that same gift. I just lack some of that common sense. I I lack some of that stuff. Well, according to God's word, it's not about the person who has that stuff. It's about the person who has that stuff. And he's calling out to us with all the wisdom in the world to the person who knows nothing about what they're about to walk into. But God gives you everything that you need to walk into where you're headed. Amen. Y'all can be seated this morning. (laughs) She said, I didn't even get to tempt you. I'm not sure how to take that. But we're just going to keep on going. Hey, we're talking about God's plan for you and I to overcome sin. His plan is common sense. His plan is wisdom. And here's where we're going to go next. Uh, The next thing I want us to notice is a relationship with the Holy Spirit is a way. It's his plan for you and I to overcome temptation. Disengagement with sin is the only way we're going to overcome the attractions of this world. 
And one of the other ways that we do this is by a relationship with the Holy Spirit. By the way, we're in the middle of a series right now on Wednesday night um, on the Holy Spirit. Um, The first time I came across uh, this teaching, this series, my mind was absolutely blown on the personal relationship I can have with the Holy Spirit. Um, And then every person who sits in this class seemed to say the exact same thing. But it's in God's word that it's important for you and I to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to say. Uh, staying away from sin and the attraction to this world is very practical, but it's also spiritual. By the way, some of the things that we want to call practical are not practical at all. They're very spiritual. Why? Because everything that is good is from God. It doesn't matter if it seems practical to you and I or way above our head spiritually to you and I. It's all from God. It is all spiritual because he's spirit. There's no such thing as, oh, that's practical, that's not spiritual. Or that's spiritual, it's not practical. It just all works together. It's all spiritual because everything good comes from God. I want to take a minute to explain something about the Holy Spirit and why our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so key. Most of you are familiar with the word Trinity. And if you're not familiar with the word Trinity, Trinity simply is a reference to God. And it's a reference to the functions of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, the Bible says, he creates and he crafts and everything is in God the Father's mind. And they are simply different functions that carry out creation, that carry out the plan of redemption for you and I. So the Bible talks about how God the Father, it was in his plan, in his mind to create the world. The Bible says also in John, in the very first chapter of John, the Bible says that the world was fashioned and created by the Son's hands, by the word. Hand. So God the Father thought about it, God the Son fashioned it and created it. Maybe never thought about that one before. And then the Bible says in Genesis that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of the deep as he protected the waters of the deep. Pretty cool. They're all God. They're all equal. There is not one part of the Trinity that is above the other, but they are all equal with one another. Why? Because they're God. So when we say a relationship with the Holy Spirit is part of the key to you having freedom in your life, the problem with, uh, with it when I make a statement like that is many people who are brought up in a Pentecostal environment, they understand what that means. But many people who are not brought up in a Pentecostal environment or an environment where the Holy Spirit was not taught about at all or in an environment where people uh, uh, blame stuff on the Holy Spirit but were really weird and um, abused some of the gifts of the Spirit, their walls go up. So I want to make sure that we all understand something very important about the Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? Well, because the greatest way that God has set up and designed for the church to deal with these things called, and I said the church, deal with these things called temptations is because this is God's greatest plan for you and I to overcome temptation is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me say it a different way. A relationship with God. He is the Holy Spirit. It's his spirit. It's not like, it's not like weird Uncle Al and God. It's not like go have a relationship with weird Uncle Al. It's not that at all. It's not about having a relationship with this other thing or this other being or this, 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 this thing that is not a part of God. It is God. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
the, the thing is, is that when Jesus went to the cross, God left humanity because he was there in the form of the Son. And Jesus could only be locationally, God was, he reduced himself to a, to a human locationally where he was physically because he put himself in a person. And he said, it's going to be good for you that I go to the Father in heaven. And he also said, by the way, greater things are you going to do, the church, when I go to the Father in heaven. I always looked at that and I went, I don't understand that, God. How can greater things happen with just me? And he said, greater things are going to happen because greater things were really only happening wherever Jesus was healing and where Jesus was delivering. And we saw the disciples trying to figure this thing out, and they were struggling, and and it just wasn't working right. But everywhere Jesus was, healing, deliverance, captives were set free. There was great things going on. And God knew that when his son came back to heaven, that the great plan of sending himself in the form of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, uh, not just with them, but literally inside of them, he knew that the plan was that the Father would be able to be everywhere because now he was inside people through the Holy Spirit. That was God's grand plan. And that's why he said, greater things can happen when I go to the Father in heaven because now God was going to be insert himself in every person who yielded himself to what Jesus did on the cross through the Holy Spirit. So the reason why I say that a relationship with the Holy Spirit is important is because it's so important. And some of you may read a scripture like we're about to read in Galatians 5 and 16, and your walls might go up because of a a wrong experience you had or wrong teaching that you had. And maybe it's possible that you're dealing with temptation and the attraction to this world is because you're holding the Holy Spirit like this. Like, we all love Uncle Al, but we love when Uncle Al leaves, right? And maybe you're doing that with the Holy Spirit. I, I love the Holy Spirit. It, you know, I love it, but I love it when you leave. Here's what the Bible says in Galatians five sixteen. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then, in other words, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So look, if we don't let the Holy Spirit guide our lives... The opposite is also true, that we will probably dive in to everything that the sinful nature craves. The Bible says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Once you've done that, then, then, now you can have the rest of this part, okay? That's the then, because you submitted to the first. Then, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, right? Your sinful nature craves folly. But wisdom is shouting out over here. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are what? Constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There are many good intending Christians that love the Lord deeply, that are struggling so bad in sin. They love the Lord. They love the Lord. They come and worship and they, they praise God and they love him so much and they don't understand why, why do I keep coming over this way when, when I know I should be going over this way. And, and perhaps it's possibly because 
you're resisting a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is so sweet. God has designed for humanity to have personal, intimate relationship with him through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and I. This is where the rubber meets the road in dealing with our daily disciplines and our daily relationship with the Lord and this constant pulling and tugging. Folks, you see that, right? The constant pulling and tugging. At the same time, though, as the enemy is tugging and pulling this way, God is also, through his spirit, tugging and pulling this way to give you a way out. By the way, if we don't let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, here's what is next, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, uh, uh, division, dissension, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, all other sins like these. Let me say it again, as I have said before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there is a big difference between somebody who has completely surrendered over to the life of folly and has completely given in to this lifestyle. And there's a difference between the person who is still fighting in the tug of war and still trusting in Jesus, still getting up after they fall, still putting one foot in front of the other, still pursuing the Lord, still pursuing a relationship with the Lord. The, the thing that gets really dangerous is when we just surrender to the fact that I'm a person and I'm a human and I'm in a fallen world and I'm going to be messed up forever. And so because of that, I resign to my drunkenness. Because of that, I, I give up and I completely give in to my sinful nature. I completely give in to all the lustful desires that I have. I completely give in to my, my, my desire for success and my desire to climb the ladder. And because this is a dog-eat-dog world, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to just, I'm going to let go of that. And I'm going to let the grace of God cover me, but I'm going to just fully give in over here. That, my friend, is a very dangerous place to be. And there's a big difference between somebody who's getting up after they fall, putting one foot in front of the other, pursuing the Holy Spirit, and somebody who just completely resigns over to all of this, simply because I was born this way as a sinner. There's a big difference. Here's the thing. Your sons and daughters are the real king. And you don't need to resign and give your life over to the sinful things of this world. You don't have to give your life over to all the things that are set to distract and derail your life and the temptations that the enemy puts there to slow down God's plan for you. And if you're in this room today and, and you maybe have not even crossed the line of faith, you don't have to just resign to stay just the way you are. The Bible says that Jesus came as a remedy for this thing. And he wants to make sure that you inherit the kingdom of God. He wants to ensure that you are in heaven with him. He wants to do everything he can to ensure that you can have life and freedom. Because doing it our way is never fun. It's never worth it. Because why? Temptation's a lie. And never delivers what it promises to deliver. Number four, the promise. The promise. Four, quickly... Um, here's the promise, the promise of eternity, A, the promise of healing. 
And then finally, the promise of inclusiveness. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and 12, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm will be saved. The promise for the person who hangs on through the temptation to this world is that they will be saved. Here's the other greatest promise that I love almost more than that one promise. The next verse later in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Did you hear that? The word of God will be preached to the entire world. There will not be one crack or one tiny little island that does not hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. God's plan is so vast and it is so inclusive and it is available for every person on this planet. If the musicians can come forward this morning. Here's the walk away. Temptation will always be attractive and it's a lie. The problem is we live in a fallen world of sin and lost people get caught in it. But God's plan is that everyone has an opportunity to have a relationship with him. This morning, if you can bow your heads and close your eyes. If you are in this room today and you say, Sean, I am not 100% all in concerning the message of Jesus. I myself find that I get so caught up in the attraction and the temptations of this world. And I get pulled so drastically over to the side of folly, the side of sin, and for some reason my ear has been deaf to the side of wisdom. But perhaps, young person, mom, dad, grandpa, whoever you are, but perhaps today, possibly for the first time, that you heard that wisdom is available for you, and here's the wisdom. The wisdom is this, as we put our hope and trust and faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you and I, all of our sins can be forgiven. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, if we live a life that just is full of sin and we don't surrender to the ways of Christ, that leads to spiritual death. But the promise is that if we put our faith in Jesus, we can begin a new spiritual life and spend eternity with God. Friend, I want to tell you today that this earth may feel like it is a long time. This earth may feel like the days are long here. But I want to tell you today that eternity is so much longer than this world. And it will come for every person. God, I pray today for every person in this room who may have not surrendered their life to Jesus yet. And God, I just ask God in the calm of this room, in the calm of your spirit, that if there is somebody who's living away from you, maybe they've fallen away, maybe they've never surrendered their life to Jesus, the message of the gospel has been clear. The fact that temptation is inevitable for everybody is clear. And what also is clear is that your son has a plan to fix that. And that's by putting our faith and trust in him.